You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, I thank you for this time and for this group of people, for this class, this opportunity to learn from your word, to understand what it means to be a church together. Lord, give us humble hearts to receive your word and um, that uh, it would uh, matter for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're continuing a fall series. Um, I don't even know what the, the series is called, but uh, Andrew said at the, the beginning uh, that is related to evangelism, uh, understanding what it means really to be a Christian. And uh, the topic today is what the church is. I forget what the title is. is what is the church for, I think? And so I thought we'd just open with that. I, I'm giving these questions in very little direction, just the question, and I'm trying to answer it uh, with God's word. And before we do that, though, what is the church for? Thoughts? Sinners. For sinners. Okay, sure. Saved by grace. That's right. What's the church for? For sinners, what else? It... So we can all be together? For sinners to come together. Equipping us to go out. Equipping sinners to, to come together the and then go out to be scattered, as Mark said in his sermon, if you were at the 9 o'clock. What else? What is the church for? To share the gospel? Yeah. Uh, if we're talking about a whole lot of other things, but the gospel is not a, a major topic, that's a, that's a problem. What is the church for? For worship, yeah, one of the things that we do when we come together could be described as worship. What's the church for? We haven't covered. Learning to love each other. Learning to love each other? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big emphasis of Jesus and John, the apostle in particular, but even Paul. Paul's a big proponent of loving each other. People think Paul's kind of a... Um, someone you wouldn't want to hang out with, but he talks a ton about loving each other. So he'd probably be someone you want to spend time with if you're gathered together as sinners. What else? What is the church for? Sorry, Ken? Teaching. Teaching. Teaching, yeah. Teaching happens in the church, both from your leaders and uh, amongst each other. Someone was saying something over here. Proclamation happens. Yep. Um... Uh, I'm sorry, what you're going to get any time that I teach here, I know this is abnormal, is, is interactive. I'm going to ask you to do some work. Because, um, I mean, I think on this topic I could come in here and, and talk about what is the church for. But it's helpful for us, and I'm going to do this together, to, to look at some bits of the Bible um, that just tell us. What does the Bible say, especially in the epistles and, and Acts? Uh, and what I have is some verses for us to look at. And if you don't have a, a, a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pews. So get one of those. And actually, my Bible, I think, has the same page number. So let's pass these around. And there are pens in your pew racks. If you need a pen to take notes, use one of the pens in the pew racks where those welcome cards are. We're going to get out what is the church for? What does the Bible tell us about church? I think an easy way to do this is, I've got several questions here, is if I could get a volunteer for each question. For number one, what is a church? To get the mic from David, 
And uh, to, we'll slowly read those. If you can find, would somebody be a, 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 a first volunteer to take the mic and read First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 5 for us? Can I get a volunteer? Can I get a witness? We'll just be silent until someone raises their hand. Thanks. Could you, David, do you have the mic? He's going to read for us. So why don't you read, if you find it's on page 1014 in, in, um, in uh, the Pew Bibles, if that's what you have, or one of these black ESV Bibles that were handed out a long time ago. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 2, 5? All right. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So one thing, Pete, let's keep the mic. You're going to do all these verses. Is that okay? Sure. Well, so first thing he says is that the church is built up of not stones like these, but living stones. Did you catch that? Uh, We're a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. All people in the church are priests of God, mediating uh, for the world. What about 1 Peter, if we skip down in chapter 2 to verses 9 through 10? On the next page. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So several things uh, come up here. This is similar. It's the same author, same chapter, that the church is a, a chosen race. A royal priesthood, again, uses that language. A holy nation, uh, God's people. Uh, And one of the the, uh, things I want to point out here is what... This this is in these verses, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Is what does the word uh, ecclesia mean? This is the Greek word. You see that? There's a Greek word used for church in the New Testament. Does anybody know what ecclesia means? Gathering is often translated. Yeah. Actually, the literal translation, and you can write that down here because this is very close to what Peter's saying here in chapter 2, is called out ones. The literal translation of ecclesia is those who've been called out. Called out of what? As we see here, been called out of darkness into the light. Into his marvelous light. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14? This is on page 959 of the Pew Bibles. It's very similar to what David just said. You probably already know. It's a big theme in 1 Corinthians. Got it? Yep. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the holy of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So a new metaphor that we're given is that the church is the body of Christ, as David said earlier. Uh, and the body of Christ, just like a human body or a body of another animal, uh, is made up of many members. And, I mean, if you read all of chapter 12, he goes at length and what that looks like. But 
<clears throat> and the, the members are different. Just as this hand is different than this hand, or the eye is different from the hand or the nose, but together comprise the body. And the body and its members are people. Uh, what about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27? This is on page 979 in the Pew Bibles. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so here's an interesting thing about Ephesians chapter 5, which is often read at weddings, and it does give instructions for husbands and wives. But do you notice one of the big themes actually here at the end of chapter 5 is that Paul is describing the church through this language about marriage. And so the new metaphor here is that the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, another uh, sort of human uh, metaphor for the church. What about finally 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, which is on page 992 in the Pew Bibles? If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So here, uh, it's a household. And not a home, but a household. Just as your household, if you live with people, is the household. The people inside of it. And he even goes as far as to say that he uses, again, sort of building metaphors, but it's a metaphor. It's not the building, but the people together are a pillar or a buttress for the truth, the truth of God's word. So do you catch a big theme here in all these verses? What's a big theme? A common theme throughout. What is, what is a church? Sorry? Together. together. Sorry? United. United together. What is it made up of? People. So the big theme in the New Testament is that church is about people. What do healthy churches do? So if a church's uh, people come together... What is it for? What do they do? A good place to look. We looked at this last time. If you were here when I taught a couple weeks ago is Acts chapter two at the end of that chapter. Can we get a new volunteer just to read these uh, this whole passage from Acts chapter two? Can we thank him for for reading for us? New volunteer to read Acts chapter two, verses thirty eight through forty seven for us. Um, This is after Pentecost, and Peter has preached the sermon at Pentecost there in Jerusalem uh, to the people, some of whom crucified Jesus. This is 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, 50 days after he was crucified. And this is the first church in essence. And this is a description of what that very first church, the apostles who've been uh, trained by Jesus for three years and given the mandate, uh, to create his church by, uh, by bringing in new disciples, this is what happens. Are you ready to read it for us? Ready. Thanks. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added 
that day about 3,000 souls. Yeah, keep going through, going through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Thank you so much. So let's look at the verses here of what's there's a lot happening here. Um, this has major implications on the church. I want to say that these are bare minimum for what a healthy church ought to be doing. If we look at verse 38, this comes after Peter has preached his sermon. He's proclaimed the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so in verses 38 through 40, we hear... Uh, let, he says, let all the house of Israel... Sorry, that's the wrong one. Da, 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 da. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord uh, our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and con- continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so what we see here in verses 38 through 40 and what came before is one of the very first things that a healthy church does is to proclaim the gospel and not only proclaim the gospel, but call people to repentance, uh, to turn away uh, from their, their idols, to turn away from their old life and dependencies and turn to the true and living God. So to proclaim the gospel and call people to repentance. What about verse 41? We see... Uh, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There are two things we learn here in verse 41 that a church does. When people repent, they're baptized. It's the sacrament associated with repentance. It sort of, it almost visually represents uh, repentance of washing away or a death, a new life, a drowning and coming back up. Is that baptism? But also we see at the end of verse 41, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, And just as Jesus said at his great commission when he left at the end of Matthew's gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he says a very similar thing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We see that they've all of a sudden they've made 3,000 new disciples. They're making disciples here that have been added uh, to that church. All of a sudden, this church in one day is as big as the Church of the Advent in terms of its membership. Before that, there were only several hundred, and now there are 3,000 plus new disciples. So they make disciples. What about verse 42? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread. So three things we learn here. That they devote themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching, which you could call the Word of God, or as we have it now, the Bible. They're devoted to the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament yet, but the teaching that they received from their leaders who were the apostles would become what our New Testament is made up of, and and the Old Testament as well. So they're devoting themselves to this teaching, which is the Word of God. They also devote themselves to fellowship, that gathering 
of the people, to love uh, for each other, just as Jesus often described in his life, and also to breaking of bread, which could mean two things. It could mean that they're eating meals together, but it probably also means both that and taking what we call communion, the Lord's Supper together. So those three, those three things we learn about in verse 42, the devotion to the to word of God, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread. Oh, and also to the prayers in verse 42, a fourth thing, that a church prays together. And then in verses 44 through 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is tricky because some people will read this and think, well, should the church, is the church mandated to do this exactly as as, is described here, which would, some people, it would turn into some form of communism. The main point here is the giving. In order to give, what they did is they made sacrifices in their life. They actually gave up some of the things that they had, sold it so that they can give to those who had need. They're giving uh, to the needy, is what we learn about in verses 44 through 45. And then verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so here we see that gathering element, that the church gathers together. If it's made up of people, uh, not individually and disparately, but they need to gather together in order to do these things together. And then in verse 47, we learn about two other things. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so worship, as someone brought up earlier, is a a part of this gathering. It isn't the only thing that we do together, but it is an important thing that we do together. To praise God, to devote ourselves to him, uh, to worship him. And also... And this is very similar to, uh, to verse 41. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A key word here is their number. The final thing in that uh, slot you can write in verse 47 is that the church, a, a church identifies as a church. A church needs to understand itself as a church. It has a boundary in terms of membership. It, it, it knows who its own are. Uh, more were added uh, to the number. These are healthy church concepts that we see in the very first church. But if you keep reading the New Testament, there are a few new themes that come up that aren't here that are important uh, for, for mature churches to do. So why don't we look at, um, let's have, thank you for, for reading Acts chapter 2. Could someone else read uh, Acts 13 verses? Why don't we just read Acts chapter 13 verses 2 through 3, not 1. Could somebody read that for us, a new volunteer with the mic? Oops, and that's on page 921. Acts 13, two Acts 13 verses 2 through 3. Just skip verse 1 with all those names. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And so here's something we don't see yet in Acts chapter 2 because they're, they're, they're they haven't been around long enough. But here's the church in Antioch uh, much later, and they do something. What are they doing here? They're sending out missionaries that mature churches send people out. They don't simply keep everyone 
Every, so we need to be together, but some will be sent out to be missionaries either locally, you know, to uh, Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. Um, so w- what about First Timothy uh, chapter 3? And actually, this will represent the other two. We don't need to read all of them. Or if you just, if you just, we don't have to read them because they're kind of full chapters. Does anyone know what the theme is here? If you know these bits, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, Titus uh, 1, verses 5 through 16, and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 15. Anybody have any idea what this is? Leadership. That mature churches appoint leaders. Uh, they would have had the apostles in that very first church, but eventually you see that churches form, and sometimes they form without leadership. And eventually, as Paul says in his letter to Titus, I left you there to appoint leaders. They, didn't, they had a church, but they didn't have leaders yet. So when churches mature, they eventually appoint leaders. And then finally, and maybe you'll know this theme too if you know these bits. You don't have to look at all of them. A, a third thing that mature churches do is in Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and the end of James' letter. Does anyone know what that is? This is a topic that people don't like. Any idea? Why don't we look at Matthew 18? Do you know that bit? Someone willing to read Matthew 18, verses uh, 15 through 20 for us. So the other passages are similar in describing. Does anyone know what this is? Church discipline. Uh, We can call it anything we want, but what it is is how do we solve conflicts together? And we're actually given instructions on how to do that, that eventually churches are going to have conflicts. uh, And the phrase that the church is used to describe how to solve those is church discipline. And we're given instructions in these passages. So a mature church is going to practice these things. Let's look at the next page. When do churches gather? Someone want to be, can someone be a volunteer, a new volunteer, not David, for, for question four of when do churches gather? Acts chapter 2, verse 46. We've already been there. Is the mic on? 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. When do churches gather? Day by day. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, verses 9. That's on page 928, David. Got my handy-dandy phone here. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them... And took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of somewhere. When do churches gather? Daily. When? When? It, look, look at Hebrews chapter three, verse thirteen. That's on page one thousand two. Three thirteen. 
14. But exhort one another every day, as long, it is a, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When do churches gather? Every day. What am I trying to get at here? What is the Bible telling us? It doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. Church is a 24-7 affair. It's relationships with other people who have been called out of darkness into light. We need each other every day, not just the once-a-week gathering. Why do churches gather? We could stay in Hebrews, page 1007, uh, chapter uh, 10, verses 24 through 25. Would someone read that for us? Yeah, so uh, this, some of this came up earlier, uh, is that what we do when we come together is we stir each other up to love and to good works, uh, we, and we meet together to, to encourage each other in this defeating world of darkness. We need each other. We know that the day is coming, but it's not yet here. We're still, although uh, called out of the darkness, still inhabiting uh, this world. What about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13? That's on page... 977. Can we turn that on? Is it not on? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saint for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Thank you. So this came up earlier, too, that part of what happens when we're together is we equip each other for service, for ministry, uh, and, and help build each other up uh, over time, build each, up, build each other up in maturity in Christ. We could, let's just do, let's skip that for the sake of time, Colossians. Let's look at what does it mean to worship. This came up earlier. This is the final thing. Thanks for doing this with me. I hope you're learning a lot. We're going to kind of pull it all together. But for the sake of time, let's go to worship. What does it mean to worship? Would somebody read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 for us? That's on page 947 in the Pew Bibles. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what does it mean to worship, according to Paul in Romans 12, verse 1? Is that what he's saying? Yeah, living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your whole self. Worship means to present your whole self to God, to sacrifice your whole life. What about Revelation uh, 4, verses 10 through 11? This is on page 1030 in the Pew Bible. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Thanks. And so here we see that it's very similar to Romans chapter 12, that worship entails giving God all glory, honor, and power, handing over our whole lives, handing over that, the glory, honor, and power that we have for ourselves, 
casting our own crowns of life at his feet and acknowledging that he's the one who should have all glory and honor and power. And then finally, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 on page 958. Volunteer, thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So again, I hope you'll see the theme. What's the theme about worship here? What is worship? Glorifying God by by doing what? But doing anything, anything that we do, handing over our whole selves, our whole lives to him. Uh, okay, here's what I want to do. Uh, for the sake of time, let's see, it's uh, 1037. Let's give you circa five to eight minutes. There's some discussion questions down there. It should say in small groups of three or four. It's not Spanish, 304. Sorry, three or four people. Discuss what you think together. Take a look at these questions and small groups near you and try to answer these questions together. Make sense? And then we'll come back together and have a talk about all this. Uh, why don't we come back together? Um, anyone interested in sharing your thoughts about our activity here together? Anything that came up in your group? or a question you can ask that I could try to answer. Reflections on the verses that we've looked at, etc. Yeah, Millie, I'll take the mic here. I'd just like to know what your take is on how our church is, this church is stacking up. <laughs> That's a dangerous question to ask. Um, you know, I think every church uh, has a lot of room for growth. And actually, we see this in the New Testament. A lot of the epistles, I mean, look at First Corinthians that we just went through. A lot of the problems that were there in Corinth. And yet, if you read First Corinthians, how does Paul begin the letter? He calls them a church. Uh, they're God's, uh, they're Christ's bride. And in spite of the, the dysfunction. And that, that's not the only church. I mean, to Galatia as well, where there are big problems. But all these, most of these churches, except for Philippi, he loves the Philippians. There are no problems there. Uh, but, the, but as far as we know. But and look at the beginning of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia. These are churches that Paul, through his missionary activity, would have... Um, popped up, and yet Jesus, decades later, is is telling them how they're going astray. I think that all churches are like that, and that includes the Advent. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, any of these categories, I think there are probably things that we could work on. Actually, as you're together, what were you doing just now? You were teaching each other, admonishing each other. You're gathering together in your little groups. I think that's one big growth area for us is to when we come here on Sunday to spend time together, to talk to each other, and not just the people we know and like, uh, but uh, I really think that's a big growing edge for the Church of the Advent. I've been working on that for three plus years now, actually. So, and a lot of you aren't surprised by me saying that, that um, we need to sort of break out of our comfort zone 
and begin to pray for each other, to talk about Jesus together when we're together, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week. I have a lot of growth in that category. I mean, that, that's sort of a, a uncomfortable for me. So yeah, there's that. Uh, any other reactions or questions? We have a few more minutes. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, I thought it was interesting uh, that you saw the theme day to day more than once. Sorry? So, uh, you saw the theme day to day? Right. So, like they were meeting every day. Yeah. We don't quite do that. So, what's your solution to that problem? Yeah, you know, and actually it does mention in Acts a couple times where they met the first day of the week. When Paul is preaching and Eutychus falls out the window and he dies and he's raised, it says that they were gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread when that happened, and somewhere else too. But we also have these three verses, which outnumber those two spots. I might, there are probably more, but there, there's a balance between the day by day and the first day of the week. It's never mandated that the church meet on the first day of the week. It seems to be the practice. That's a good practice. But imagine if you're in a culture where the first day of the week in the, I don't know, Middle East or Asia is a work day. As a church, you're probably going to have to find another day of the week to meet, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but there are offerings every day, yeah. small groups, Bible studies. Sure, programmatically the church has things, but think about if you live with other people who are believers, that when you spend time together, you are the church gathered and that you can do that at home with your spouse and your children or any if you have roommates or whatever. If you spend time with fellow believers, if you live alone at work, perhaps, or your other places where you spend time, we desperately need each other seven days a week. I mean, once a week is, a, is, a, is an important time. It's a good rhythm for devotion and teaching and being with a large group. But uh, that's my take that that day by day, this isn't a Sunday at 10 a.m. or 11 or 9 a.m. thing. It's 24-7. Well, there are the bells, but it's only 1048. It's sort of confusing. Any one last burning comment? Yeah, back here. Do you want to bring her the mic? Here, let's wait for the mic here since we're talking over the bells. Um, I love it. It was saying the for that your hearts wouldn't be hardened, that that um, one purpose of gathering. And in our little group, David was mentioning here about how the Book of Common Prayer does so much for us already, laying it out. And I love that about this church. That yeah. um, So when we come together and we're, it's not just, you know, kind of, willy-nilly how the spirit may lead but there but it's we're saying things that have been said for so many years and kind of it's we we don't have to think what should we pray or whatever it's there for us and um but so that our hearts are not hardened as we gather and i love that and sure so um i remember in one of the the beginner classes or inquiry classes um that talking about raising your kids up and just coming to church every single time with them because I feel like we don't get it right so much at home but if they are faced with that every time gathering um, and the word so that their hearts are not hardened and so that Mm. ours are hardened but I love that about this church great thank you great final word thank you all for being game we're out of time Um, 
Come back next week when the topic is I don't know what, but we'll continue on the theme, sort of, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.